You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, you're listening to Sustainably Geeky. This is episode 56, and today I am joined by Donal Lally, who is an architect and co-founder of the architectural office Zero Degree Machine. He is an assistant lecturer in design theory at the TU Dublin School of Creative Arts. And today we're going to talk about technology and its impact on the environment, something that um, you may or may not have been hearing about recently. So um, I thought it'd be interesting to talk to Donald because this is his area of focus and he's done some really creative work in this area. So thank you so much for joining us. And can you start by just telling us about your background and your area of research. Yeah, th thanks Jennifer for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm an architect by training um, and uh, my and practice. I practice as an architect and I also um, teach design. But um, I found myself in recent years working more collaboratively across different types of artistic disciplines with other kinds of practitioners. And um, my own personal research in trajectory in the last few years has led me to look at sort of the physical infrastructures of the internet. And the more I've looked at them, um, architecture itself only plays a kind of a part of that story. And to, to, to begin to understand them more holistically, you start you have to look at these structures through um, a variety of different kind of media and disciplines um, to get a kind of, I suppose, a kind of more rounded understanding of how these structures kind of exist in the world and how they produce reality in some respects. Um, yeah, so I suppose I'm an architect and I'm looking at data centers, but then that's a much kind of wider, a kind of wider scope of inquiry than um, just the kind of disciplinary boundaries of architecture itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So you you basically uh, look at the the hardware in addition to just the software that we kind of take for granted and and how it makes um, all the technology around us work, um, which I think sometimes people just think, you know, you turn on your computer or you turn on um, your cell phone and it it's the internet just happens, but there's a lot more that goes into that. <laughs> yeah, and and Ireland, I suppose, um, Ireland is a particularly um, rich territory to explore this topic because I suppose where I came to it initially from a complete a purely architectural point of view, I started noticing these, um, you know, these kind of bigger big boxes starting to appear on the outskirts of Dublin, these big industrial sheds, but they were a little unlike any other industrial sheds I'd ever seen before. They, you know, huge exhaust pipes and there was a much more complicated set of apparatus that seemed to be plugged into them um, and they were called data centers and, and there was nobody really talking about them really in any kind of I suppose deep way or concerned way five six seven years ago but they were really starting to kind of pop um, become sort of or they were really beginning to proliferate quite quite quickly across the exurban and suburban landscapes of kind of uh, Dublin city in particular so we here in Ireland have, you know, 25% of European data storage, roughly speaking. We're one of the top four cities. Sometimes we have, Dublin is sometimes the top city in Europe, sometimes the second, sometimes the third, but it's one, it's one of four cities that are kind of jostling constantly for uh, data, you know, data storage um, 
um, facilities, basically. And, and, and it has, plays this kind of disproportionately large role as a small city in a big continent, um, um, as, you know, as a kind of a, one of these kind of core hosts of data storage. So like our, you know, Dublin's competitors in the, the data storage industry would be London, Amsterdam, Paris, Frankfurt, like big, big metropolitan kind of um, centres. So in a city like London, that many data centres can dissolve into the background. But in a city like Dublin, they become quite present because it's a small city. And then the then these things become kind of a, you know, a very obvious part of the landscape, um, not just in their physical form, but also in the electricity they draw from the grid. So the by 2027, there was a very concerning statistic kind of released by the National um, Energy Grid, the, the management company for the energy grid, AirGrid. They predicted that by 2027, about 30%, if not more, electricity uh, of the total electricity uh, consumed in Ireland would be going into data centres. So that's one third of all electricity in Ireland is going into the internet and I suppose maybe I'll be even more precise about what I mean by the internet cloud computing um you mentioned that a few minutes ago that you know when we turn on our cell phones that you know we don't really think about what happens to the photos we take uh, when they kind of disappear to iCloud storage that that those storage facilities more and more are becoming are you know are becoming more and more present and more and more part of the Irish landscape, the facility to store one's cat videos, one's family videos, one's text messages, all of that stuff that's not actually been stored in your phone or your computer, that's just been distributed into something we call the cloud. So my interest really is in dispelling that kind of utopian fantasy that there is such a thing as the cloud, like a lightweight ephemeral structure that we can just endlessly produce, um, we, can, we can disseminate data into. Whereas actually the reality is we can see these big, huge buildings in our landscapes that are sucking huge, disproportionately huge amount of electricity to act as hosts for that information. So that's that's where my, um, I suppose that's why I'm interested in it, because they are such a pressing concern in Ireland at the moment. Yeah, and I do want to talk more in a minute about um you know the the environmental impact of, of all that in Ireland and elsewhere but I am just curious since you said um, you're competing with other European countries is Ireland providing this data storage just for Ireland or for more of Europe and also why Ireland what is it about the country that makes it so attractive for these companies I've I have heard that there are very business friendly laws and and that maybe you know it's cheaper to come to Ireland so um, can you talk about any of that? Because I'm sure that impacts um, disproportionately, you know, what <laughs> yeah. uh, comes into the country. It's 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 a kind of an old story. It's 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 Ireland's relationship to um, U.S. Um, corporate um, corporate culture, really. Like, so we have a long history of um, encouraging foreign direct investment, FDIs, right back to the like Apple set up a plant in Ireland in the 80s. Uh, you know, we've had Ford, we've had these kind of big companies. So there's Irish government, because we're an English speaking uh, country, um, because we have such close cultural relations with the United States going back, you know, since the emigration in the 19th century and before, um, and also because we're like the first, one of the first geographical stepping stones between the US and 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 continental Europe, we'd have this relationship with with the US that just goes back a very long time. And I think 
we we at the moment all of the major tech companies microsoft google facebook um and apple well apple sorry not apple uh, are headquartered here in ireland and that is for tax reasons in a lot of cases it's got access to workforce um and just by I suppose there's a proximity to the headquartering, they set up their data centers here as well. Now, there's loads of reasons why a data center is set up in certain places. They're not these kind of anonymous boxes that can just be put anywhere. They need, first of all, they need to work. They need um, to connect to quite advanced um, fiber infrastructure. So in the 90s and 80s, there was, in, especially in the late 90s, there was huge investment put into that infrastructure around Dublin. So there was a setup there that these, these could actually function in, in the Dublin landscape. Secondly, um, Ireland is not kind of, you know, densely populated. So there's parts of, you know, as you get into the kind of exurbs, there's quite a lot of open space that can be utilised by data centres. Um, thirdly, data centres love predictability anybody who sets up data centers so like environmental concerns we have a low a very temperate climate um it's a predictable climate in a lot of ways and it's a coolish climate so the the data centers again these are kind of benefits for data center construction you won't find data centers being put in places where there's kind of um you know very difficult or extreme kind of uh, areas of prone to extreme weather events. So, so lots they of, don't mind the rain, <laughs> the constant rain. rain. So, <laughs> in fact, it can be a benefit to them as well. But it's an old story. Like what 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 I'm interested in, like and again with my work with Annex, is that these these stories are not new stories. Like so, the tech might look new. But the attitude, the, the the kind of what's happening is kind of ancient in a way. So the the, you know, there's a little island off the coast of um, the west coast, um, off the coast of Kerry called Valencia Island, and that island was um, the point where uh, North America and Europe were connected by the first transatlantic telegraph cable in the mid 19th century, and that was literally like these are a big part of the, like the story of kind of mass mass planetary scale communications infrastructure is dragging a cable from one area of the planet to another. So you have to be able to find a route. And Ireland happens to be one of the first stops between, uh, you know, the US or North America uh, and mainland Europe. So this cable started, it was a telegraph cable. Uh, it was connected, connected Valencia Island in Ireland to um, a part, uh, Newfoundland in Canada. And then those messages were then continued on to the British Empire. So that 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 telegraph cable was set up to kind of, you know, to connect the kind of um, United States of America to the British Empire, basically. And Ireland was in the way of that. And that's and that's kind of what our role. And it's the same now. There's big cables being kind of brought across from North America, fiber optic cables. They're connecting into Ireland and that's using it as a base point for the rest of Europe. So your question about is this data storage for Ireland? No, we're like an infrastructural backyard for Europe. So all of like the big tech companies are sitting here. We have as a culture very little access to that storage information. It's just it's global. It's really global. It's it's it's, it's global data storage um, for a global population. Uh, we just happen to be providing the land, um, the climate, the energy, and we're suffering from the emissions. So we're, we're getting we're getting 
um, penalised basically, or we will be penalised quite soon for the emissions that these buildings cause as well, even though it's a very distributed mm -hmm. system. Sorry, it was a long answer, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, that was going to be one of my next questions was since um, you are hosting this, you know, these massive data centres, I'm sure there are um, environmental impacts, but also are the companies um, that are building these, these storage centres helping in any way to build up the grid um, and to, you know, kind of bring, I don't know, more reliable or sustainable energy to the country overall, since they are using up, which I think you said 20 to 30% of the energy in the country, which is a huge number for especially such a small, you know, nation. <laughs> what they're doing is buying up the available renewable energy. Like there's a kind of a, like a lot of misdirection happening here. So the, the, Ireland has a, and I'm not sure how it works in the United States, or even at, I suppose, a state level. I don't know how your your state, your your electricity grids work. But here, we all the energy produ produced on the island goes into a central state-controlled pot, and that pot is then distributed to every citizen and company on the island. So, like, if I'm plugging my, if I'm charging my iPhone in a wall. I have the same energy mix as Amazon who are plugging their data center into the national grid. So, for instance, in the last couple of years, the, the mix is normally something like 60 to 70 percent fossils, 30 percent renewables. So it's it's gas and oil would be the, the primary fossils and then a mixture of wind, mainly wind would be the renewables at the moment. Uh, yeah. So that so no matter who you are, big or small, when you plug into the grid that's you're getting the same energy mix as the next person so a lot of apple had a big issue here where they were building a huge plant uh, data center complex on the west coast and they were um making the claim that it was going to be supported with 100 percent renewable energy which is kind of they can't actually make that claim because they can't they can't even if they produce the power themselves they're not actually allowed to use that power They'd have to distribute it into the grid and it would have to be redistributed back out. But what they weren't actually doing any of that, they were just simply buying up. It was like carbon offset or credit carbon offsetting. They were just investing in renewable or like wind farms in Ireland and basically saying that that energy was theirs now. So they were removing en like renewable energy basically from the grid by setting up shop. They weren't adding anything new. And that we're finding that a lot, like there, there's a, Amazon are investing in wind farms, but they're not building wind farms. They're just investing in the wind farms that are already under construction or uh, underway. So, you know, every time you build a data center, one Amazon facility in, 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 North, in yeah, North Dublin, is projected to consume about 5% of Ireland's electricity. So they can be built, planned and built in a few years. So if you plan and build one of those things, you're adding another major uh, energy sucker for a better, for a better, you know, phrase to the grid um, faster than you can ever build a wind farm to support it. Wind farms take years because of um, planning problems and you know, environmental impact assessments and all of that sort of stuff. So to build a wind farm or any sort of energy infrastructure is a long-term plan to build a data center is actually very fast. So there's a real dissonance in, in speed between one and the other and the claims one makes about the other. So it's, 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 it's I think it's an intractable problem. You can't, ha you can't have it both ways. I don't think. Well, and I imagine uh, the more energy they're sucking up, it's raising prices for the average person for other businesses and therefore, <laughs> 
cost of living, you know, goes up. And, and I, I know with these kinds of projects, um, they always argue we're bringing jobs, we're, we're going to, you know, people are going to make more money and it'll improve quality of life. But um, then there's these, you know, maybe they're intended, maybe they're unintended consequences, though, that kind of have the opposite effect. And I'm sure you've you've kind of looked at some of that as well. Yeah, like the fact of the matter is they don't really even bring that m many jobs. You know, an average data center employs maybe 20 to 30 people and they can be, you know, 10,000 square meters in size. You know, they can be huge, huge complexes that have very few people uh, uh, kind of pottering around inside them. There's kind of interesting in there's interesting sort of um sort of um how would you say ecologies forming around data centers now, which is like it I it, we'll see how it plays out. So Amazon in South Dublin and are now plugging their data center. And it's it's not Amazon's initiative, actually. It's the local county council or the local government's initiative. Um they Amazon had four data centers in this area. And they wanted to build a fifth one and uh, South Dublin County Council um, were, only would allow them to build a fifth on the condition that they would harness the waste heat and use that, recycle that into the local community. So there's a there's a, uh, a Tala Hospital, there's a university, there's um, a cultural building, there's all sorts of offices and there's a huge amount of apartments basically being plugged into the exhaust pipes of Amazon, for want of a better phrase, to utilize the waste heat, that the, the masses of waste heat that are produced by these buildings. So it they predict that, you know, by doing this, they're removing 600, 1600 tons of CO2 or, uh, uh, from the this area's kind of like, you know, annual emissions. But really all they're doing is offsetting that somewhere else because the, the, the energy has to be produced and delivered um, somehow. And it's not, unless the energy going into that Amazon facility is green, or at least the majority of it is green, then it's still producing, these are still emissions producing systems that are not sustainable. They're just, what what you're doing is tying together um, tech and public utility. And, you know, and you're, and, and you're creating these new strange kind of forms of public private these new relationships between public and private interests that are very, very strange. Like Amazon's interests are not as an energy provider. Their interest is as a management of they're like as it their their interests lie in the management of data. That's that's and so the data always will come first for them. Whereas an energy provider or a utility provider, their aim would be to provide a utility. So you get these two maybe slightly kind of different worlds colliding and be bound together in a very long-term relationship. If they become the kind of central heating system for a very, very large suburb, how do you unwind that relationship <laughs> in the future? And what are the contractual kind of, you know, what are, and I have tried to find the, con, you know, these contracts, they, sh they should be publicly available. And, you know, I'll let you know when I do find out more information about them, but I I'd love to be able to pour through what are, what are the break clauses how does somebody get out of this relationship? Like, how do Amazon get out of it? How did the South Dublin County Council get out of it? How much energy does Amazon have to provide or heat does it have to provide? You know, is there an onus on the Amazon facility to be, become more efficient? Because if they become more efficient, then it will produce less heat. You know, so there's all these kind of relationships that are really strange when you start binding 
you know, tech together. And then if you if you actually roll out that a little bit further, it gets even stranger. So where are they getting the heat to distribute into homes? They're getting it from us watching things like Netflix, <laughs> you know? So you are, and Netflix is, is, when I checked last, was a client of Amazon Web Services. So if you're watching Netflix, you're setting off like a program on Netflix, you're setting off a chain of events that ends with a puff of heat coming out of a server in a server hall in a data center. That puff of heat is captured and recycled into a hospital bed, a ward or a university classroom or a home. So us as consumers of content are now becoming a kind of resource that can be extracted from and converted into a utility and sold somewhere else down a supply chain. So that's kind of almost psychedelic in, in its in its kind of strangeness. I think uh, these kind of new kind of uh, ecologies that are forming around tech and data and, and the body in a way. Yeah, and it, it's, I can see how that could be a dangerous relationship, like you said, because um, if they are providing, you know, these essential services to the community, um, then, then it's going to be hard to stop them down the road or, you know, cut those ties off. And um, it kind of just seems like a really complicated, fancy way to greenwash, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't know about a lot of that that was happening, and I'm sure that's happening in other parts of the world as well. So yeah. something to be looking out for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, let's circle back to, you kind of touched on this earlier, to just the impact of this technology on the local environment. Um, you know, we've we've seen huge technological advancements over the last century and, and um, before that, you know, and, and little by little, um, that's improved our quality of life, but it's also come at a great cost to the the environment, to the planet, in in, in, in terms of resource consumption, pollution, and you know all sorts of other problems. So, what are some examples of how these technologies um, have had drastic or surprising environmental impacts, um, whether in Ireland or just in other places around the world that you've you know studied? Yeah, so like I think. When we uh, Annex as a group started to um, investigate like the material impact of or the yeah of of data of data processing, we found actually the subject so head spinningly complex that it was really hard to find anywhere to begin to sort of unpick that story. So what we actually ended up doing is rolling back, and I mentioned the telegraph cable earlier on. We started to look at that and went, okay, well that's that's the first instance of like continent to continent in instant messaging. So the very first moment of kind of creating messages out of apparently nothing like, you know, was the, the in the mid 19th century. So we started going, right, well, OK, that's the, I suppose that's where the beginning, that's where the cloud begins in some kind of way, or that's where the Internet begins in some sort of like that's the, the that's the legacy infrastructure for the Internet. So like we, we started to look at that and we would, okay, well, that's kind of, we can kind of wrap our heads around this. This is a cable, to a, a building at one end, a building at another, and it's linked by a cable and they're sending messages. That's got to be an easy thing to start to understand. But then when we started to look at the cable itself, you start to get into head spinningly complex supply chains. So the, this is 150 years ago. It's more, it's 160, 170 years ago. We looked at the cable. So the copper came from kind of mines in Norfolk. There was iron in the cable, but there was a, a, there was a, a substance that we found really kind of fascinating, and none of us had heard of it before. It was called it, it's a latex that was an electrical insulator 
that protected the cable basically um the 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 yeah protected the cable um um and it was made from a latex that was harvested from a tree called a gouda percha tree the palacum gouda percha tree which is a common was a common tree found in southeast asia and from kind of colonial exploits the british discovered the kind of properties of this particular latex um to make the cable they and they had to harvest the late they paid indigenous tribes in southeast asia different countries across southeast asia in the forests the kind of rainforest there to start to harvest this latex from the forests so they had to cut down the trees they basically had to fell trees to harvest this stuff and over the course of sort of 30 years starting from like the 1850s up until about 1910 1905 something like that they felled about 70 million trees to create these kind of cable infrastructures these kind of telegraph cable infrastructures so to to get the, the amount of latex they could only get like 15 20 30 grams of latex per tree so they were going to get a small amount of latex at the cost of every tree so whole areas of rainforest were raised uh, raised across kind of places like Singapore and Indonesia. And what happened then, the tree all, almost went into extinction. We tried to kind of uh, track down one in Europe. And like uh, during lockdown, I have quite extensive email chains with botanists around Europe and tried to find one and go see it basically. But really there's very few of them left in the world and they're, they're, they're coming back but they're still on the endangered list basically because of this activity 150 years ago. Um, and the kind of, again, the tragedy of that is not just that they took a tree and harvested it to a point of extinction to make these cables, this apparently weightless form of telecommunications or communications, this instant messaging system was raising whole rainforests in, in Southeast Asia. But what happened was that they never replaced the trees so the trees became plantations and they're now what we know as the palm oil plantations so the legacy of that first culling of trees to make these cables has produced these extremely long-term ecological kind of like a, a kind of a slow burn hardcore ecological disaster that's moved from one to another to another to another so that's that's one material from 150 years ago and like the people of Southeast Asia are still dealing with the constant the environment and the rainforest of Southeast Asia are still dealing with the environmental consequences of that so when we start to kind of extrapolate that we put we think of that when it comes to the contemporary cloud like how much damage is being done globally when you think of the complexity of the supply chains that come together to make the kind of global cabling the kind of data centers, the phones, all the rare earth metals that go into the phones um, the kind of like human labor, the cheap human labor uh, that goes into kind of mining metals, you know, the, like the, it's literally a globalized supply chain, which is built around kind of the most invasive kind of extractive sort of, um, you know, sort of processes or whatever you want to call it. So it's it's. It, it, and then and I'm not even talking about the energy. I'm not even talking about the kind of fossil fuels that go into underpinning all of this sort of stuff. So 
again, it's it's like, where do you want to start with this question? <laughs> so we we never really got further than the kind of 19th century before our heads were spinning and kind of we were crying, you know, like we were distraught about the kind of ecological consequences because we still haven't fi- figured out how to deal with that ecological consequence yet. And that's 150 years ago. So again, it's it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't want to depress your listeners too much, but it's 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 it is head spinningly complex when it comes to these kind of globalized systems you know uh, infrastructural systems yeah and that's that's just one example of how um far-reaching you know our technology that we use here in our homes whether it's in the us or europe or wherever um the resources come from all over the world and like you said um really impact local communities And, and you could say the same with the clothes we wear and the cars we drive and you know any any basic necessity that we use these days it's it's very global even though you know we may um, buy something at the local store um, it has global roots so um, that's an interesting you know story uh, that we could probably start digging in a lot of other things like you said and see (laughs) the impacts Um, just on that one thing is that the at least with the clothes we wear we can feel them and we can kind of critique them as a kind of thing the 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 big what we're really interested in as a group is actually dispelling the idea that the cloud itself is this weightless thing. It doesn't have consequences. And that's the kind of the lie we've all bought into in a way that that our actions are, you know, our, our daily actions on our computer and phone really don't have consequences because it's just weightless. It's data. It's ones and zeros. It goes somewhere. Who cares? And that's the that's the difference between like for us, between the kind of the history of say looking at environmental destruction through waste and overconsumption that's you know you know it's a story that's gained traction since the 1960s or whatever this idea of data is just it's connecting the ones and zeros to like this kind of heavyweight footprint that actually it has and it, it, it i think for a lot of people and even for for us as as people who are really dealing with this subject it's a really hard one to kind of imagine you know it's very hard to imagine the consequences of your actions on your phone because there's no you're not literally connected to anything you know and you're not so i don't know it's it's just it's just that it's 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 a little different i think to a lot of our other kind of um consumptive habits um um just for me anyway i suppose yeah okay no that makes sense and um you know i always hear people say don't print that be green you know keep it digital and and now that you're saying all this it's like is it really that much greener to not print something because it does have to be stored somewhere and accessed you know on your phone and or through the cloud so um it's it's a new way of kind of thinking about what is green is it um the paper that we're cutting down to print it on or is it the you know coal or whatever we're burning to store it in a data center (laughs) um there's still there's still a consequence yeah um So I guess, can you talk about some of the local and global trends um, concerning these environmental issues? You've kind of already shared some of the statistics as far as energy consumption in Ireland, but um, do you have, I don't know, numbers or just a broad summary of kind of the resources that we consume in order to make the cloud possible and the pollution that it produces? Or is that still, you know, kind of being figured out? It's it's very hard. Like you you can read twenty different research papers and you'll get twenty different answers on that. Like it's um, I've I've heard anything from like 
global data center energy consumption is anywhere between 1% of the total electricity in the world uh, and 10%, 15% uh, like projected in the next few years. So again, it's just, it's it's not something, like Greenpeace do these reports actually every few years where they try and kind of map out how dirty is the cloud. Um, but again, it's just, it's one of these, I, I, I couldn't put a figure on it. I, I would actually advise people to go and look at historic Greenpeace kind of, um, um, you know, um, studies in this, it's, they're really good. But again, it's just like, even within Ireland, which you would imagine it's quant it's it's relatively quantifiable how much energy has been used. The, you know, the projected figures, I, I mentioned 30 at the top of the show, but like some people say it's as much as 50, 60, 70%, you know, so, or, and then others will say it's much less. So it's, it, 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 it depends on who's the, who's constructing the information in a lot of ways. Um, but it also just points to how difficult these kind of systems are to ma to to actually um, capture in in a kind of in a, in a in a sort of a yeah in an understandable way their consumption. So no, I, I wouldn't have any you know really clear answers on that. Um, yeah. Well, fair enough. That's yeah. It's kind of impossible to know how much uh, people how, how much energy people are using at all times all over the world. But um, obviously, it's not you know, sustainable, <clears throat> we're not going to be able to continue building things and consuming energy at the rate we have been forever because we're going to run out of resources to build them with or or things to burn or, you know, whatever. I mean, unless we get, you know, super good at renewables. So, um, you know, from what you've seen, are there any sustainable solutions or, or things being developed to, you know, make uh, this more <laughs> long lasting or... <laughs> Is, are we going to run out of, you know, resources and energy someday and just not be able to use the internet because of that? Well, there's two, I suppose there's a couple of different things. It's like, um, what is the internet? Like, who has access to the internet? What, like, what is a data center? Who has access to a data center are all kind of interesting questions. So, you know, the, 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 the data centers who are really um responsible for the most energy consumption in Ireland are private they're privately owned big tech so that they it would be Microsoft it'll be Facebook and particularly Amazon have a lot of data centers here um did I mention Facebook you know they they all uh, TikTok are building a huge one you know so they it's it's like the internet we know data centers are really useful as ways to store and manage and distribute information we know the internet can be profoundly useful um but it's all kind of been hijacked by big tech so we're you know a lot of the questions about kind of you know mismanagement of sort of like you know data on the internet the the, the problems that facebook have run into the problems twitter are now running into like these these are where we spend a lot of our public life and we have to kind of question whether um these kind of systems that are created by private companies are the places we want to kind of live and are they useful and are they worth the energy that's going into producing these kind of private spaces like a data center that just shares you know like is is a facebook data center that's hoovering up huge amounts of electricity useful culturally but is a data center that manages like a hospital's kind of you know um data storage or a or a whole you know, a, a, a statewide series of hospitals there. Like is, is that a useful data center? It probably is. So having these kind of large urban scale computers, which a data center is, can be really useful. 
but we just can't keep building them endlessly um, because they have a huge amount of environmental you know, cost. There is a point where we have to just say, okay, well, what is a useful way and what is an is you know what way of kind of consuming that much energy through that type of building aligns with our values wherever we are in the world like um and is there a point where we just say no that sort of data center is not no more is not useful to us anymore or is not appropriate in this place or is not kind of is actually a kind of a you know uh is causing more problems than it's creating kind of value for a society so data centers themselves are like they're tools like anything else you can use a hammer to fix something or you can use a hammer to kill you know what i mean so the data center is kind of the same thing in that world it can be incredibly harmful if if it's used for the wrong um you know goal or means but it can also be incredibly useful if it's put to good work so like you're starting to see communities that are building their own kind of localized data centers and small sort of like there's there's kind of work going on in a research hub in Dublin looking at kind of community data centers, uh, community file storage systems, maybe not even data centers, the right word that then can be kind of managed in a green way so they can be supported by green energy, uh, you know, so what we might see in the future, I'd like to see is less of these kind of mega structures. Um, that operate globally and maybe more smaller scale quantifiable ones that kind of are useful locally and you know that could be the way we move forward it's a little utopian I suppose at the moment but it, that could be the way we move forward and if you have a smaller scale data center you can start looking at kind of supporting it renewably so in in Switzerland they have like hydro data centers that are fueled through hydro hydroelectric stations so data centers are actually set up near mountains and they use hydroelectric power to fuel themselves so you might see data centers set up to take advantage of a local climate like in ireland you know we have plenty of wind we have we have wave energy if we set up and develop our data centers in relation to the limitations of the energy available to us i think yeah we can have a kind of a uh, some kind of um we can cohabit cohabit with these structures in a kind of sensible way, but at the moment it's going the other way. You know, it's, it's absolutely going the other way. Yeah, it's interesting. You say um, that local, smaller scale projects are probably best, and we hear that all the time with a lot of environmental issues, you know, so <laughs> it's almost yeah. as if um, there's a trend there that we should be following, but instead, like you said, we're going the other way in a lot of ways, so. Um, Okay, well, this has definitely given us a lot to think about. And I know like when I use the internet, I'm much more, try to be much more conscious of, you know, kind of the fact that everything I do is is being stored somewhere and not just up there free or whatever. So um, I think that's the first step for a lot of folks is just knowing that things don't just happen and, and there's consequences. And then we start to think about how can we do better? Um, but I'd like to talk now about um, a project you've you've brought up a couple times. Um, you've mentioned Annex, which is a collaboration of artists, architects, and urban researchers, born and/or based in Ireland, who explore the material and cultural implications of large technical systems for the built environment with reference to architecture, art, computer science, and gaming platforms. Is that pretty much sum it up? <laughs> it does yeah. <laughs> okay, that was directly off your website. So um, yeah. <laughs> So um, your group, you know, this group developed the Entanglement Project, which is actually how I found out 
about your work um, because it was featured at the Galway International Arts Festival, which I volunteered at earlier this year. Um, and this piece explored, among other things, the environmental impacts of human data production and consumption. Um, and, you know, it was really just like a visual representation of both how technology and the environment are intertwined um, and also about Ireland's unique history and role in communications technology, which we have talked about. So it kind of brought together the history, like you said, of this, um, you know, centuries old telecommunications um, infrastructure and today the data that, that, that Ireland's storing. So can you kind of give some background on how this project was conceived and, and you know, what it is um, exactly? Well, yeah, so the, ultimately the project manifested in um, in a big, I suppose, a large scale physical installation. So that's that's the kind of final form of it. it, it it's it's a piece of infrastructure. It's a piece of art, I suppose, or a, a, an artistic installation that uses kind of multimedia in a way to kind of generate an effect. Um, we got involved, and I'll, maybe I'll go into it a little bit more just in a, in a few minutes. But I, we the group came together to propose something for the Venice Architecture Biennale, which is pretty much the biggest architecture event in the world. And it's it's located in Venice every two years. It, it's, it's basically dovetails with the Venice Art Biennale. Um, and we won the commission to become Ireland's representation at the Venice Architecture Biennale. And the, I, I was interested in looking at data centers, as I've mentioned here, like Ireland has this kind of, you know, proliferation of data centers, a huge amount of data centers. Um, and I kind of knew it wouldn't be that interesting to look at only data centers. So I asked some people I was interested, I knew were interested in the subject to come together and form the team Annex. And that's how Annex was sort of born. We came together to look at this subject. But then when we came together, we came from very different backgrounds. So there's like Alan Butler is an artist who looks, like, uh, looks at video gaming platforms. Claire Lister is, a, is a, a professor of architecture actually based in Chicago. And she looks at kind of large scale uh, logistical systems. So she would have looked at FedEx and how they work at a kind of landscape scale to produce, uh, to, to create flows of sort of parcels and packaging and all of that sort of stuff. So she she wasn't, she's not a traditional architect by any means. She's more kind of thinking about how you know, flows work, systems of flows work at a very large scale. Um, Fiona McDermott um, comes from um, looking at kind of smart technologies. She's a, a urban designer and kind of comes from kind of, she researches in and around the world computer science. Um, Sven Anderson is a, is an artist who looks at kind of public, like he makes public art, uh, but he kind of harnesses kind of uh, infrastructures like kind of Wi-Fi infrastructures or sound or anything like that. He kind of harnesses the hidden infrastructures in our environment. Um, and David Kabener is an architect, but he's also a philosopher and he thinks about kind of the impact of digital, the digital on public space. So when we came together, we we realized that not one of us had a clear trajectory to this project, that we all were coming, looking at the subject of data infrastructure, but from very different kind of viewpoints, which was really fascinating. And I think it was one of those things where you learn that this subject can only really be tackled through multiple lenses because your own ideas about this stuff are, is, has to be challenged regularly for, for any meaning to be made of it. Um, we all make a lot of assumptions about things and it's 
when you, especially when you come into contact with other disciplines, those assumptions are naturally challenged. And it's 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 actually a very difficult process, but it's a, it's a very healthy process. And um, we decided like ultimately that we were looking at big tech, but we didn't really want to kind of focus on big tech either. We wanted to look at data infrastructure and Ireland and like some of the more kind of, I don't know, some of the, some of the ways in which we as a species kind of like approach this stuff. And the 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 installation is sort of it's built using data center um, stuff that we found in data center catalogs. So if you if you were building a data center, you get these kind of catalogs of server racks and you pick X amount of this size, this size and this size. And we literally just did that. We picked cables, we picked server racks um screens, uh, fans, all of these things that you might find, not all in a data center, but all of them representative of something that you would find in a data center. Um, and we built this huge kind of three tier structure, basically, that housed these screens and fans and uh, these kind of sound effects of spaces of data processing. Um, the structure itself we built as a kind of bonfire shape and maybe this is the easiest I before I, I don't because your listeners are listening and they're not seeing the structure I don't want to go into too much detail about what it does but um the shape of it is this sort of bonfire shape it's 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 a three-tiered system and we we basically took all the server cabinets and we burned them so they're scorched as well and we found that the bonfire initially we we're talking about the campfire but we found the bonfire to be a really good um, maybe metaphor for this conversation in that we as a species, and this I suppose is another part of our project, is to kind of take our mind. We can easily get distracted by new technologies and they're new and strange and alienating, but we as a species kind of do the same thing over and over and over again. From the very beginning of our species, we've been yearning and the kind of success of our species in some ways is the ability to kind of get together and communicate and form groups. And the earliest form of technology that uh, the human species created was the campfire. And the campfire did many things. It allowed us, it created heat, but it also created light. So it extended the night. It extended the day into the night. We could sit around campfires. We could discuss religious kind of ideas, social ideas, form social groups, form religious groups around the campfire. But to make a campfire, we were taking from the environment. We had to chop down trees, we had to dry them, we had to burn them. So there's even research out there that says, that says the brain, the campfire actually changed the human's brain chemistry. Like so that our most of our ape relatives um, stay awake for only eight hours a day. We are the, I think, the only primate that stays awake for 16 hours a day. And there's some research that suggests that it's actually our relationship to the fire that changed us. So we're a tool making creature. We're a technology using creature. And those technologies change us as much as we change and create them. So we found this idea of the campfire and then the bonfire itself being a scaled up version of the camp, the, 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 of the campfire, but a little bit more terrifying. We got we gather around bonfires because we find them kind of exhilarating. We we dance around them, particularly Halloween has just passed here in Ireland. There was plenty of teenagers dancing around bonfires for a night, but they're dangerous, but they're also exciting. And we found that this kind of metaphor was really interesting for our project in that as a species, we've been trying to, we've been using technologies to gather together from the very beginning. And to, and to make those technologies, whether it's the campfire or whether it's the internet, we've been taking 
we've been harnessing from the environment and we've been extracting from the environment and to a certain extent we've just been burning it together you know and we see that the 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 the, the project entanglement it, on one level is like a contemporary bonfire we're trying to create and we're trying to talk through these these very scary new technologies but we want to couch the conversation as something much older and much deeper and we want to show we wanted to talk, have a conversation around the fact that we've been doing this much longer than the data center has existed or the telegraph cable has existed or any other form of kind of community. we've been doing this from the beginning and we have this kind of relationship to the environment and we have this relationship to the other and sometimes the two don't always kind of align so that's a kind of a big conversation that we were hoping to have around this kind of artwork and this kind of infrastructure i i'm not sure if that's that was your take on it but that was certainly a big kind of um um goal for me and for annex yeah yeah i thought the uh, the installation was brilliant and and once i understood exactly what it was and and what you guys you know the little pieces what they meant represented um it, it made more sense and it um, really brought together the, the message of um, technology and, and fire and heat and, and how it's like you said it's the most basic technology we had but it's still today you know something that we're implementing or is a byproduct of the things we're inventing and um, for those who are listening and are interested we'll link to you know um, photos or, or the, the website for this project so you can actually see it for yourself but uh, yeah, there's there's pieces within this, you know, bonfire structure that are made up of the old cables and, um, you know, the, the transatlantic cables, that is. And then there's some of the plants that you talked about, the rubber plants that went into making these, these cables, which I thought was really neat because you're kind of tying together that history. Um, and then also using modern day server platforms and screens and heat, you know, cameras and things like that. So it, it is a very interesting um, kind of abstract, you know, compilation of all these different technologies. And, and I thought it was really cool. So, um, so <laughs> what is next for Annex um, and or your own research? Like, or do you guys have more projects in the works or are you looking at um, something similar to, you know, what you've been doing or something completely different? Well, yeah, there's a few different things. Uh, so Annex has, Annex really came together for that one project. So we're, I suppose we're maybe now working in smaller groups. I'm not sure. It was a very, it was a, just a logistically, we were all, we're six individuals with very, six very different practices who came together and even just making that work was very complex. So at the moment we're working in smaller groups and um, I myself am continuing on with my personal research into data centers and, and, and fire and heat. That's, that's something that I'm kind of personally driven by but another part of the project in, in entanglement was this um, AI that we use to produce the text so myself and two other members of Annex are looking into um, this kind of just thinking about kind of artificial intelligence and um, an energy and uh, the domestic environment in particular so how um, our homes are now being kind of like you know, they were, they were, well, I suppose for a long time now, they're becoming more technologically, they're shifting into a kind of more machine space than they are into something maybe more traditionally domestic in the 19th century. We have a lot of, we're introducing a lot of objects into our homes, which are, you know, um, doing things that I think we're not all completely sure what they're doing and who they're serving. So we're kind of, we're starting to look at kind of smart objects in the home and artificial intelligence and 
that kind, those kind of new relationships that are developing over the last five, ten years and into the future. So that that would be one project we're looking at. Um, that may or may not be an opera. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a big one. And I imagine the energy consumption that comes from all these smart devices, incremental little things that, that are added on, even just for functions that, you know, may not be a lot by themselves, but added together is probably pretty pretty huge and, <laughs> yeah. and and again it's not easily quantifiable because if you have an alexa it's it's basically running off it it's not really the energy consumption is not something that you, it's not really related to how it's been recharged in your home it's actually the giant data center that's crunching the algorithms that allows alexa to you know ask you the right questions so yeah. you're not paying the the electricity bill but there is a massive electricity bill being being produced somewhere else so that it's those kind of that putting that little smart object in your home is connecting you to this kind of global infrastructure of data centers and you know and and um yeah so yeah there's there's lots there there's a lot of huge terrain there and we're only scratching the surface so we'll see it'll, it'll be a few years before anything emerges from that i think yeah well definitely something interesting to look out for and um i've managed to resist the smart home yeah, you know, trend so far mostly because i don't understand it and i just feel like i can turn the light on myself why do i need to <laughs> I know, yeah. program something but i'm sure you know in the future it'll all be um connected in some way so yeah i'm with well, you on that i don't really i was offered a smart toilet the other day and i didn't ask really i didn't i didn't follow up <laughs> i though like I, I don't even understand <laughs> i don't get it <laughs> well um this has been very interesting and thought-provoking is there anything we haven't touched on that you think um, you'd want to mention real quick before we I, su I suppose for anybody around the world, I know in 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 like this is like a real pressing issue for anybody who's living in the United States. Like you're you've got you know possibly the biggest concentration of data centers in the world. So I think anybody who just kind of look out for them in your local area. Like I know in uh, you know in in some of the southern states there was kind of those, and especially Texas, it was it like a year or two ago there was huge energy. There was problems with energy and outages and all of that sort of stuff. Like we're we're getting into a realm now where like our energy grids are being saturated by all of these kind of different systems, and it is worth looking out as to what's going on where, and and what it's for. So like one nice. Well, sorry, nice is the wrong word, but a really interesting take on analyzing a data center came. I came across from these French, um, this French community group in northern Paris. This in about ten years ago, this area of Paris was uh, attracting lots of data centers, and suddenly the energy grid was saturated, so they couldn't build any more of anything in this area. And nobody knew what a data center was. This was about 2010. So the local communities were like, well, what are these things? So hold on, <laughs> you know, what's just saturated our grid? So again, the whole conversation became about electricity and that's what's happening in Ireland at the moment. And I'm sure that's what's happening in the States as well. Anywhere there's data centers, there's always these questions around electricity consumption. This other group came at it from a very different way. And they were a, a small community group and they started saying, okay, so the electricity thing, that's a, okay, that's one thing about these data centers which is okay a problem but you know is that solvable i don't know um they started going like, well, what are what's that one doing what what does that data center actually do and uh, you know the response was from the company oh it's just it's it's computers they just process information so the, this group followed up even for again more persistently went, oh no tell us exactly what it does what what are you processing so it turned out that, that that one of the major clients for that data center was a online betting company. 
so that this community group went, well, that's a casino. So that's what that building is. If 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 like 60% of your revenue is coming from an online betting company and, and the computers are processing bets, that's what it does. That what what's the difference between that and a casino? And they weren't given any really good answers. And I thought that was a really clever way of actually dispelling the myth around these things and saying, well, what's the computers in that actually doing? You know, and you don't need a computer science degree to ask that question. You just need to ask, you know, the you know, you have to look up the client list and say, well, actually, ethically, am I are we OK with there being a casino in our backyard? Because it's not been classified as a casino. It's been given a license to operate as if it's not a casino. You know, so I found that for anybody who finds the topic kind of too head spinningly complex and finds computers daunting and feel they need a computer science degree to even begin to talk about this stuff, there are simple questions we can all ask. Like, what's that building doing? You know, and and that's a, I, I found that very, very that, that was almost like a game changer of a way of perceiving these buildings. So that was that was something that we can all ask what things what's happening, you know, and I think that's a good there are good questions to ask um, when we don't know the answer, you know. Yeah, and I think they depend on us to kind of be uh, confused or or just yeah. accept their answers of oh well it's computer stuff you wouldn't understand yeah, yeah. Um, but really yeah it doesn't have to be that complicated and maybe they're they're just putting a an overly complicated answer on something that's not and um, yeah you know maybe it's just a matter of we need to catch up with um, the laws or the you know regulations need to catch up because like when online sales started years ago you know they didn't have to we didn't have to pay sales tax and and local communities weren't seeing the benefits of those sales because people were spending their money elsewhere and finally the laws ca caught up at least you know in parts of texas where um the local municipalities started getting sales tax revenue from sales online because for a while people just you know were like oh this is how we're gonna get them is <laughs> the yeah. consumer doesn't have to pay and yeah um that's great. Yeah, that's 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 a totally appropriate example. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, <laughs> yeah, the Texas grid, I, I'm in Texas right now and you're absolutely right. It's it's abysmal here and, and um, a lot of that I'm sure has to do with uh, how much demand there is for what's available and also just how it's managed um, overall. But um, these are things we're going to have to think about. You know, unlimited growth doesn't uh, mm -hmm. isn't going to last forever, especially if we're not thinking about how we're going to support that growth and the infrastructure that goes into, you know, keeping the lights on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. well, are there any resources you would like to share with our listeners who want to learn more about this or your work? I think just from, um, uh, I suppose if you're American, if your listeners are mainly based in America, there's some really good um, researchers over there who are looking at data centers. And one particular, I'll just give you one name, but you'll find more, Mel Hogan, who's based in Canada, um, but she looked at um, NSA data centers in Utah and their water consumption. So it was, and, and it, it, her research, I think that the paper is called um, uh, Water Woes and Data Center Woes and Water Flows. Sorry, I can't quite remember the name now offhand, but Mel Hogan, Data Center Woes and Water Flows, or some combination of those words. And it just looks at the kind of like, ecology around water management and data centers and local communities and it's just it's really fascinating read quite a short read really fascinating read um that will kind of give you an insight into the kind of the complex ecologies um and the extractive processes that these data centers need uh in order to survive so that would be one um and if you look at her work you'll end up looking at lots more 
of other stuff. So yeah, she she she's well worth looking at. There's plenty of Amer there's plenty of uh, North Amer people across the North American continent who are looking at this, um, particularly from the media studies uh, end of things. Yeah, so that that that, that would yeah, that I would kind of point people in that direction. Okay, great. And and you all actually put out a book as well about um, the entanglement project. Is that correct? Oh yeah, we well, buy our book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So we'll we'll link to that, and that's a really cool uh, history of what you guys did, and just photos of the yeah. the project itself, but also some of the maps of the transatlantic cables. I think I remember seeing and yeah. just yeah. neat historical stuff if you're into that. So um, yeah, we'll link to all that stuff in our in our show notes, and um, you can find it there. Uh, so I guess we'll move on now to our green life hack um, portion of the show. And um, Donald, if you have one, uh, would you like to start us out? Well, yeah, it's kind of you touched on it before. I get asked a lot about what do we do, you know, with with what do what does the individual do um in relation to this um you know this particular issue and like I think personally the individual we need it to approach these kind of situations with a certain set of values that we are, you know, we're meaningful about. Like if we I think you know, we have to be clear you mentioned the idea of endless growth it just isn't a runner anymore we have to kind of be serious about that but i think these companies in a lot of ways want us to take personal responsibility and i really do believe that like we need to kind of march and for regulation and i think as you mentioned the sales tax these kind of things are the only way we can tie down these big structures these infrastructures and like I, I, I've given talks and people have come up and felt guilty about saving cat videos after the talk. And I tell them, don't feel guilty. That's not your fault. You know what I mean? This is a system that's set up to uh, enable and encourage you to do that all the time. But if you, you know, we can, we have to kind of move away from the distractions of that and really lobby for change and control of these tech companies. And I think that's that would be my it's not much of a hack. It's a really long term, slow, hard <laughs> fight. But if you have energy, put it into that, I would say and that would be my that would be my hope, because um, only governments, only people at the scale of governments can take on these companies uh, and then they will then I suppose the example I used to give, I'm not sure how long ago this was, but I remember each of our cell phones had like kind of, you know, a megabyte cap and we could only have like certain, we could only use a certain amount of megabytes and then our phone would run out. We'd have to top it back up or we'd have to get it recharged in some way financially. But then we could actually visualize our data usage. It was like, okay, I can kind of, I could probably turn on my, you know, this for an hour or two and I could get access to the internet for an hour or two, but I have to be careful. We kind of have to go back to that. Unfortunately, we have to sort of see that, you know, data is not an endless commodity and it's not a commodity that doesn't have like consequences in its production so we have to sort of connect the dots back together again it's like using kind of uh anything you know it's any kind of any any kind of resource that it has limitations and we have to kind of uh, be careful about it but i i would say if you have energy put it into lobbying your government before you start kind of trying to count your megabyte usage on your phone i remember when you had to you were charged by the text message that you sent yeah, even so yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think there is something to be said for when you have unlimited access to something you don't yeah. value it as much right exactly. and yeah. when yeah. you do have to pay for it and and be more you know careful about how much you use then yeah you do tend to 
be more <laughs> yeah. uh, responsible with it, I guess, is the question or the, the way to say it. And um, I think that's an important reminder. I know you're, you said your hack was more of a long-term solution, but um, on an individual level, just the reminder that we are not fully responsible for these problems, so we should not have to solve them on our own. That They are systemic structural issues that yeah. uh, the companies do like to push back on us and make us feel guilty about, but um, but really we can't you know, do it ourselves and we do need to come together to kind of yeah. pressure them <laughs> into doing that, Yeah. Um, well, my uh, green life hack, I, I've probably done something similar in the past, but kind of to keep on theme with with this episode is just to, um, you know, try to repair your devices and your uh, appliances and anything that breaks. Um, we have a very disposable mindset these days, and especially with things like phones and TVs and, you know, refrigerators or whatever, you know, when they break, our instant um, reaction is, well, just time to get a new one. But um, sometimes you can actually fix them for much cheaper, much easier, and much less impact on the environment. So try to keep those going because I, I mean, I've had my my cell phone for about five or six years and it's still working. So I'm I'm managing to um you know hold on to that. But I know there's always the draw, the lure to get the newest and best thing. So um, I think the repair economy, you know, is due for a comeback, and we need to try to make things last as long as we can to reduce resource consumption. So yeah. And which on that? Yeah. <laughs> That's my green life hack. And um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, you can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts on uh, YouTube. And Facebook is being difficult right now. They've locked me out of the account. So maybe not Facebook at the moment, but Instagram and Twitter. Um, and of course, you can find me on um, Instagram, Twitter, at Het's Gonna Be Me. Um, Donald, where can people find you and or your work online? Um, I think the Annex project is the most important thing to look at. So the um, if you type in www.annex.ie, I think it'll bring you to our website and it, it talks about the book and there's videos to the artwork and everything there. So that would be the main, yeah, I, I, I direct people there. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and of course, if you ever have any um, thoughts or ideas for future topics or guests, feel free to send those our way as well through our website or social media. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great rest of your day. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 